Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Betting Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Harris. Find me on Twitter at DanHarris80. Week two is here. It is time to talk about our best bets for the week. And here with me to do that is my good friend, Rich Ryan, co-host of the Gridiron Gamble Podcast. Find him on Twitter at Rich T. Ryan. Rich, it's been a while since we've talked. How are you? I'm great. Uh, I'm in the throes of new fatherhood. Uh, I have a 10-week-old, as we discussed pre-record. That's why I've got the hat on. During quarantine, it was acceptable to walk around with insanely long hair, but now, quote-unquote, post-pandemic, it's not. So hiding the hair, but happy to be here. I think you look great, and obviously I'm a big <laughs> fan of the Mets. Unfortunately, you, we are both Jets fans. It is a terrible plight uh, that we have to bear. <laughs> and yet, uh, that was the one bet that I nailed last week was the Jets plus 5.5 um, against the Panthers. There it is. All day long. Okay, so you guys know how this works. Uh, we each are going to give our three best bets. They could be totals. They could be spreads, whatever we want to do. Then we will quickly run through all the rest of just the spreads just to talk about whether we have a lean or not. Uh, but before we do it, let's get to some housekeeping items, including a new offer from our sponsor, BetMGM. This is a good one, guys. For new customers, bet $5 on any NFL game, anything you want, win $100 in free bets if either team scores a touchdown. When you use the code, right? You want in on that? It's the code JUICE100. JUICE100. That is, again, the daily juice. That is one of our betting podcasts. That's where the juice comes from. But the code is JUICE100. Again, pick a side. Pick a money line, pick a total. Doesn't really matter if either team scores a touchdown, regardless of if the team you bet on wins the game, you get $100 in free bets. Again, code JUICE100 and for new users at BetMGM. Second, let me remind you of our giveaway. It's assigned to a tongue of Iloa jersey. Entry is very simple. Leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts or CastBox and then go to bettingpros.com slash review if you are a subscriber to our youtube channel where you can watch this podcast if you want see uh rich's glorious hair then it's at youtube.com slash betting pros again if you are a subscriber to that it counts as three additional entries and again we do a sunday morning live stream over there 11 to 12 we give out some props we give out some of our best bets at well on sundays all right how do you feel rich are you confident in your picks today Kind of. Week two is tough. We've got a lot of really good teams on the road as short favorites. We've got some elite teams at home as massive favorites. But I think I've done a decent job of mining from some overreactions in week one and hopefully out some winners. I think that's always a big one, right? Is the week one overreaction. Avoid that part in week two. That's generally my philosophy, which we'll get to in one second. We'll start with Rich. We should recap last week, though. It wasn't a great week, although our favorite bet was Sean Green, who was our guest. Favorite uh uh, bet was the Seahawks laying two and a half to the Colts. That was Sean's official play. I allowed him to take it because he wanted it. That was us. He missed on his other one, the Titans minus three, which narrowly missed by 114 Yikes. points. And the Pats minus three uh, also missed there. My uh, official bets after Sean took Seattle was the Jets getting five and a half. You needed that half a point. And again, when it closed, I think it was four and a half. But at five and a half, it did hit. The Titans Cardinals over 52 and a half, which still hurts my soul because they were basically midway <laughs> oh, through man, the third yeah. quarter. They were at 51. I kind of counted that prematurely in the win column. Um, and then the Eagles Falcons over 48 and a half, which just missed on. So there you go. We got to do better this week. Rich, you get to start us off. Give it to me your top bet of the week. So let's go back to the Queen City of Carolina, where you faded the Carolina Panthers last week. Good job getting the best of the number there, because like you said, you covered by the skin of your teeth, but <laughs> hey, a win is a win is a win is a win. And talking about overreactions, 
the best team last week in a national spotlight were the New Orleans Saints. They come out and they absolutely mollywop the Green Bay Packers. It's a Sean Payton masterclass. He is a tremendous coach. You know, I myself coming to the season, I was very much questioning New Orleans. Uh, I think the the remnants of Hurricane Ida kind of pushed me over the edge, the fact that they were going to be displaced for the first quarter of the season. But maybe I just failed to recognize just how much of a tremendous coach Sean Payton was putting together such a good team these last couple of years with very much a maybe net negative at quarterback and Drew Brees, somebody who couldn't push the ball downfield. And the, the first time he gets an opportunity to get Jameis Winston under center, I mean, he lets loose. He sinks you in with play action, gets the run game going, and then takes deep shots. And, and Jameis did that quite well. But I think this line is just a little bit too rich for a Saints team that, let's face it, they do want to play a little bit more conservative, both on offense and, I mean, being a good defense. I think they're going to be in some more rock fights than, than people anticipate. And the Panthers looked fine last week. Most importantly, they looked really good on defense. And I know what you're saying, pump the brakes. It's the New York Jets. It's a dilapidated offensive line. It's a rookie quarterback. But uh, when you can pressure with guys like Brian Burns and you can cover in the back, you can have some success in this league. On top of that, we're seeing a lot of injuries right now for the Saints. Quan Alexander, Marcus Davenport, Marshawn Lattimore, all DNPs. On Wednesday, Marshawn Lattimore carries a doubtful status, and we know that about single-digit percentage players that carry that status end up making it to Sunday. On top of that, their IR situation is pretty bad. Ken Crawley on the IR is one of the reasons why they traded for Bradley Roby last week. No Traquan Smith, of course no Michael Thomas, so very limited on offense, banged up on defense. So I think this is going to be quite a low-scoring game. And I think the Saints can, uh, the Panthers can keep it competitive with their receiver core. Uh, I mean, Bradley Roby and Paulson Adebo are going to be in tough situations against three really good receivers in uh, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Terrace Marshall. So, uh, and Darnold, you know, I'm still a truther. Uh, eight yards are per you? attempt last week. Are you? Are you like? Are you high on him long term? I, I think Darnold is at minimum a league average quarterback. Okay. And he needs to be reined in. He needed to escape Adam Gase. Uh, and I think the Panthers will be just fine. I think this is going to be a close, contested game. I could see the Panthers winning outright. I don't think that would be too insane. Uh, so, yeah, give me the Panthers plus three and a half. If only there were any history of a quarterback looking like probably not even fit for the NFL under Adam Gase and then escaping <laughs> yeah. and then becoming one of the best quarterbacks. We may <laughs> talk about that quarterback a little bit later. Uh, I'm not ready to declare Sam Darnold. Below average or above average or average, I don't know what Sam Darnold is yet. Because again, I agree with you. I com- I think it's completely unfair to judge him based on what happened in New York. I will say to add to your point on this game, and I'll get to my thoughts very quickly, is the Saints are also dealing with um, COVID among their coaches. Like right, like a lot of their coach, not Peyton obviously, but a lot of their coaching staff is kind of just working on their couches right now, doing from home. Don't you know, discount that impact as well as you get ready for the game plan. So there are a lot of signs here. And again, it you know, it's not the, the quintessential buy low because the Panthers won against the Jets, you know, so it's not like your people are down on them or anything like that. But you are selling high on the Saints, which is what you do in week two when people overreact. And for me, Saints played great, but you're absolutely right. The number of injuries on defense is really remarkable. And the one thing the Panthers can do, they have a good offensive system, of course, and they have the three wide receivers who you mentioned. Again, they have DJ Moore. They have Robbie Anderson. I liked what I saw out of Terrace Marshall. And of course, they have Christian McCaffrey, probably the best, you know, just non 
quarterback offense player in the game right now. So I don't hate it. I probably won't bet it just because it scares me. But I do think that last week was also sort of a weird combination of factors where I think, you know, it was very, very hot. And I I think the Packers probably weren't necessarily prepared for it. They just looked gassed and out of sorts. So I think it was as much against the Packers as it was the Saints. So I don't hate it. If I had to take a side, I would take the Panthers. But I am a little scared. And that's funny considering what my number one best bet in, which is something that you I think we should be honest. Um, (laughs) Before I I told everybody last week, Sean and I did not exchange picks before. And he came out of the gate with Seattle or whatever. And you and I said, do you want to exchange picks? And I said, sure, whatever, send them over. And you hadn't yet this morning. And I said, all right, well, these are my three picks. I'll get off one if you want. And my first pick was the Vikings getting three and a half from the Cardinals. And do you remember what you wrote back to me after I sent you that? Thank the heavens. Thank the heavens that I don't have to tout this game and somebody else has to because I wanted to. Trust me. But I will run tail between my legs and I will give the floor to you, Mr. Harris. This is the quintessential game that you look at and you say, I have to take this game. But I, I have no interest in taking this game like <laughs> that. That is what this is like. It feels grotesque to even do it. But when I was looking at it, I was like, you're going to give me more than a hook. I'm going to take it right now. And again, this is a theme and it looks like you're on the same theme. And I think if you look historically, it bears out, you know, it's fruitful that when you fade generally a lot of the big things that you saw in week one, the Jaguars beat the Colts last year in week one, yep. right? Never, and they ever, ever won a game ever again. <laughs> and may never again as well. Yeah. But yeah, that although maybe we don't know this week. But regardless, bottom line is this, like the Vikings did look bad in this game against the Bengals. They still could have won, obviously. The Cardinals looked like absolute world beaters in this game. But again, I think it's a little bit of an overreaction. And Spoiler alert, we'll talk about the Titans in a little bit because that's another one of my picks. But I think a lot of what we saw with that Cardinals-Titans game is on the Titans, not the Cardinals. I mean, look, the Cardinals have a very good offensive system. DeAndre Hopkins is amazing. Kyler Murray is incredible. I like Rondell Moore. What we're going to see, ton of good things from them. But I don't think that defense is anything close to what it showed. I think that the Titans really, and I mentioned this before uh, earlier this week, actually, is that I think that really the Titans, whether it was the COVID situation that prevented them from practicing a lot, or whether it was just the general injury concerns, they just weren't ready for that game. And they didn't play well, and I expect them to correct it right now. So I don't think you're going to see, as good as Chandler Jones is, I don't think you're going to see the team have, you know, six sacks or whatever they had. Again, I think the defense is going to allow points against the Vikings team, by the way, whose offense can very easily put up points, whether it's through Dalvin Cook, whether it's through Adam Thielen, who looked like he had sort of found the fountain of youth, and that's not even talking about... um, uh, Justin Jefferson, pardon me. And again, KJ Osborne also sort showed up suddenly. So I think they're going to be able to put up points. If you look historically at how the Vikings sort of react, they usually play pretty well after a loss to uh, under Mike Zimmer. And really, you know, they had a loose a lot of new starters, you know, in their first game. I don't know if that corrects itself immediately in the second game, but they had a ton of penalties in that game. I expect them to probably do better. And again, their defense, I like their second. I mean, Patrick Peterson, maybe a little intel on what they're going to see here from Arizona. So This is just a game, man, that this screams to me something of the public is going to absolutely hit the Cardinals in this game. They're going to love the Cardinals. They're going to fade the Vikings. And I just think that the Vikings are pretty obviously like the right side to be on. It just makes me want to vomit a little bit in my mouth to have to make this pick. (laughs) I mean, you can see it on the betting pros matchup page, right? 83% 83% of people are selecting Ooh, the Cardinals. Look at you. Look this at was, you looking at hey, the matchups page. That's hey, my guy. I, I know I know I'm a chameleon. I know where I'm at. Uh 
We're looking at a two-point look-ahead that went two and through the key number of three. So we're getting value there. It opened at four and a half. It's already come down, so that means influential money is coming in on the Vikings. This is a classic overreaction spot, as you noted. Um, Mike Zimmer, I think, has the coaching advantage. Kirk Cousins might be a better quarterback. I've never been really a Kyler Murray guy. Uh, I think he has a lot of limitations when it comes to decision-making. Uh, he threw a boneheaded interception against Tennessee. I don't know if that's going to correct itself. Right. Um, and against a Vikings defense that tends to be very aggressive, Mike Zimmer is very uh, gap competent, meaning that he designs blitzes to take away all uh, to attack all of your weaknesses. And if Kyler has pressure in his face, I don't know if he's always going to make the best decision uh, given what's in front of him. So the thing that does put the fear of God in me is the reports that Kyler was injured towards the end of last year. So maybe some of my negative outlook on the kid is the fact that he was actually being a tough SOB and playing through a shoulder injury. On top of that, speaking of COVID, there's just a dark cloud over Minnesota and the kind of tug of war that they're dealing with in their locker room and the division that comes through COVID when their leader won't get vaccinated and it's putting, uh, it's putting a lot of pressure on the organization uh, when the coach wants people to get vaccinated, uh, he's threatening to fire coaches that won't get vaccinated, and the leader of the team, the quarterback, uh, won't take the back. So there's just this cloud that's hanging over Minnesota that has me a little bit worried, but you're right. This is a classic A1, week one overreaction, line moved an insane amount from the look ahead, uh, and I think you just have to blindly click the dog in this spot. It, it's a good, it's a good point on the look ahead. You're right. That was, a, it's a big move here. And again, everybody's still going to be on uh, the Cardinals. And yeah, I regardless. Think yeah, the books are going to be completely happy about that. And you know that that's what they want with the way they see it. With your point, Cousins and um, and the vaccine, I I really do think that that is a reason to fade them long term on the season. I, I really do think because I think just given the protocols, forget about anything else. The protocols yeah. that the NFL has put in means that I think it's highly likely that Cousins is going to miss at least a game this season just because he'll be a close contact or something, and there'll be something that he won't be able to to get out of. So I think long-term, I am worried about the Vikings. For one game in the bounce-back spot, I'm holding my nose. I'm willing <laughs> to do it. Let's go to pick number two. What do you got? I was going to say, let's keep holding our nose then. Oh, yeah, more? All right, let's go. We are selecting the Jacksonville Jaguars plus six at home against the Denver Broncos. I'm not that much of a coward. I said I was a coward for not clicking the Vikings, uh, but this is me grabbing my shield and being a hero. Uh, 30% of folks on betting pros are selecting this team. Let's just do some math real quick. Home field advantage is about 1.9 right now. That's what we're working with. So if this game was in Denver, uh, the Broncos would be minus 10. So what this is saying is that the gap between the Broncos and the Jaguars is only one point fewer than the gap between the Packers and the Lions, Packers sitting at minus 11. That doesn't really work for me. The Packers are a team with Super Bowl aspirations, one of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen, coming home after a loss, playing against the Lions team that I know they backdoored if you got the number late, but they were absolutely destroyed by the San Francisco 49ers. Back-to-back East Coast trips for Denver, 86 degrees and rainy. It's projecting to be 56% chance of precipitation, so we're talking about an ugly game. And just like uh, the team that I just mentioned, the Saints, uh, with injuries, the Broncos placed Ronald Darby on IR, a big free agent signing for them. Jerry Judy's on IR. Uh, guard Graham Glasgow experienced heart palpitations 
during the game, uh, went to the hospital after the Giants game, didn't travel back with Denver. Um, covering six on the road in pro football means you're going to go out, get a lead, and extend the lead. And I just don't trust Teddy Bridgewater to do that. I know it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know this is something that people out there aren't going to run to the window to bet. I know Vic Fangio against a rookie quarterback is terrifying. But three-point look ahead, blasts all the way to six. Just like what you said about the Minnesota Vikings, I think you just have to hold your nose, click the dog, and just don't watch. When Red Zone shows this game, change it to QVC or something. Just don't watch a single snap in this game. Yeah, QVC. It's going to be better than watching this game. It's probably (laughs) correct. Uh, So, look, this sort of goes to everything that we're saying. I think probably the Jaguars strike me as the sharp side. I can't do it, though, only because (laughs) I can't. No, I can't. I mean, I think you're right. Just because... Holy cow, man. Like, I, there are disasters in the NFL, and, and you and I, obviously, being fans of the Jets, are quite familiar <laughs> yeah. with how that works. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I don't know if I've ever seen a, a coach like Urban Meyer come in here and screw everything up so quickly and just make things worse every second of the day. <laughs> uh, this is bizarro world. I think on paper, you're right. This spread is is too much, and the sharp side is the Jaguars. But it really isn't. And maybe that's narrative. Like, maybe that's not something that we should consider as betters. But it is something I have to consider <laughs> as better. And I don't even know what he was doing. That Like, I don't know how you come out and you say against the Texans, you go, I'm just going to let Trevor Lawrence throw all day right from the start. And you're going to say, I really want Carlos Hyde to yeah, factor in here more than no Dave James, Robinson. No James Robinson. He comes in. They have a free running back, right? Someone that they're not paying anything to. They use first-round draft equity on Travis Etienne. So you feel like they're forced into using James Robinson, okay? They tried to make a mistake. The mistake was taken away from him, and he just starts plunging with Carlos It's Hyde. so nuts. It's nuts. And look, Carlos Hyde's a very capable backup. James Robinson did nothing last year to suggest that without Etienne, he needs to be benched or anything like that. It's just maddening, man. I, so for me, it's just like I could see the backdoor cover. I don't, I don't see a way that the Jaguars are going to win this game. I, they could, obviously. You never know. It's, it, we're avoiding overreactions. This is not an overreaction against the Broncos. Like, I don't care really what they did against the Giants. I thought they looked fine, basically what I expected. But it's something where I can't get mentally over the point of just being like, I can't voluntarily put money down on the Jaguars right now, which is fair. A team that I can uh, voluntarily put money down on is the Titans, who are getting five and a half from the Seahawks. Now they're in Seattle. That's never good. Sorry, I'm just looking up uh, exactly. So it's it's about 50-50 right now. 52% uh, of our experts are taking the Seahawks, 48% taking the Titans. So let's continue our trend, Rich, of making plays that do not make us feel warm and fuzzy in this one. We know Seattle's a very difficult place to play, and they look great with their new offensive scheme last week, and the Titans look like the worst um you know, team in football. But again, <laughs> this is me really, I am really, and maybe I'm, I'm overreacting in sort of the, the positive way. I'm basically throwing out everything that we saw from the Titans last week. I think it was just a, we have not practiced whatsoever. I mean, put aside everything else, Tannehill and, and Julio Jones literally never practiced. Like, I, you know, I don't know how many practices yeah. they actually had together, um, but the whole team just was not ready to play. And that could linger, right? I mean, again, they, you need to catch up. But I also have 
an incredible amount of respect for Mike Vrabel as a coach. I think he's one of the better coaches in the NFL. I think he is going to get this team ready to play. That you know, Taylor Lewan was obviously terrible. I expect him to play better. I think the line is going to play better. I think both receivers will get more involved. I think you're going to see a better game from Derrick Henry. And again, Seattle does not have the pass rush, right? They don't have a Chandler Jones on their team. They're not going to basically be harassing Ryan Tannehill. So I think offensively, I think the Titans are going to look much, much better than we saw last week. And again, Seattle was good last week. They won that game handily. We figured that they would. But that wasn't that far away from being like a four-point game. Like the Colts could have easily scored a touchdown, gotten the two-point conversion. It's a four-point win. I mean, even in a game that they pretty much dominated. So it's something where I do I expect the Seahawks to win? I do. But look, we know how the Seahawks have historically played. I mean, look at last year. They were 12. Never normal. Never a normal game. We know First that. First of all, sure. there's every possibility that they will just start <laughs> running the ball. But put, put yeah. aside that. But let's say they stick with Shane Waldron's system. It, Four of their 12 wins last year, only four were by more than one score. Like if you're good, they like to play close games. That's just what they do. And I think that this one's going to be a close game. Again, if I had to bet, it'd be the Seahawks winning by a field goal in this game. So I will take the five and a half. Yeah, I tend to lean with you. Uh, I'm a little concerned with the Titans defense, Mm -hmm. but the point you bring up last week is very indicative of the Seahawks. It was very much a Shane Waldron first half and a Pete Carroll. Second half. Let's yep. salt the lead away. Uh, let's salt the game away. Hang on to a lead. Get home. Get prepped for for next week. When a lot of other teams in this league are extending leads and and putting teams away. And again, to cover five five and a half in the NFL, you need to be extending leads and not holding on to the rock and and salting games away. So the biggest problem with the Seahawks last year was the fact that when teams started showing them that too deep, they had no idea what to do. And and Shane Waldron did a great job of attacking. The Colts last week with Eberflus is a classic two-deep team, and they absolutely shredded them deep. Um, will that carry over into next week? I, I think it's possible. I think the, the whole offseason, the Hawks uh, were a team that were getting absolutely no love when all they do every single year is go out and get double-digit wins. Russell Wilson is perennially a top-five quarterback. Lockett and DK Metcalf are two, the, one of the best receiver cores in the league. And what Pete's done his whole tenure and in Seattle is take mid-round players with zero pedigree and put together a pretty good defense. So I, I like the spot. I, it worries me a little bit when I start digging into the actual teams uh, because I'm a little bit down on the Titans, but you're absolutely right. One of the things you want to be doing in the NFL is betting on the team that looked the worst last week, uh, and the Tennessee Titans were certainly one of those. Things just regress to the mean. These teams are just too talented. That's the thing. Uh, so, and, God, I'm sorry. I mean, scary. no, no, I was just wrapping up. Yeah, I, I, I think. And again, I, Seattle generally has looked, you know, good early on here. And I get like last year and I get like their offense looked really good. I just this is a bounce back spot for the Titans, man. Like I, I cannot imagine that they come out as nearly as flat as they did. They were embarrassed by that game, like for sure. Like they need to come here and show something. And I just I kind of trust that they will. But yeah. This is what it is. This is, a, this is a hold your nose week, man. Like yeah. we're talking about it. So do you have a hold your nose uh, third pick here for your third best bet? Well, not really. I know a lot of people like to bet the over in some of these games. And with the record being broken last week with fourth down attempts, maybe this season will be an over season. But I'm circling the under 47 and a half in this Texans Browns game on Sunday. It's one of those where. If you agree with me, you're going to want to go out there and get it now because 47 is a key number and the Cleveland Browns have a couple of injuries that 
the Thursday practice report, which we haven't seen yet, uh, could dictate a line move in this spot. Three starting offensive linemen on the Browns did not practice yesterday. Jedrick Willis was carted off on Sunday against the Chiefs at left tackle, and his replacement in that game also got hurt. So there's a chance that the J.C. Treader and Jack Conklin DNPs on Wednesday were just veterans rest. Those things tend to happen. Uh, but we'll get more information here on Thursday. And if they are DNPs on Thursday, I could certainly see this line starting to come down because in order for the Browns to cover a number as big as this and in order for them to get to the over, it's going to be the Browns that are scoring in this game uh, and putting points on the board. And with a broken offensive line, a team that does want to run the ball, that has invested a ton at the running back position, uh, is going to be a little bit hamstrung to do so. But if you wait for the news, then the line's going to start moving. Uh, so it's one of those where you almost have to be a little bit aggressive and get to it uh, before the market starts changing. The Texans, last week, playing at home against the Jaguars, allowed the fifth highest pressure rate in the entire league. The Jaguars do not have a stout <laughs> defensive line. What? what? <laughs> and they didn't send a ton of pressure. I mean, their blitz rate was yeah. 32.4, so top third, but nothing like the you know the 50% uh, that we saw from the Dolphins uh, and 50% that we traditionally see from the Ravens that we saw a ton of on Monday night against the Raiders there. Now they travel on the road. They have to block Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney and Tack McKinley and Malik Jackson. That's not going to be an easy assignment. So I think the Texans are going to tr- struggle to score. And if the Browns have these offensive line issues and can't get their offense going as well, I think we'll see a little bit of a controlled rock fight. I think the Browns will be just fine. Uh, but I think that the under is definitely in play. And if you're super brave, I think taking the points with Houston might be in play as well. This is interesting. Okay. So if that, what if the practice reports are positive on, I mean, Wills isn't going to play. I mean, I think we can assume that, but what if the practice reports are positive on the offensive lineman? Are you still good with it? I mean, I assume in 47 and a half, you just think that it, it might drop if it's bad, right? Yeah, if it's bad, I think this line gets to the key number and maybe okay. even gets uh, a little bit uh, down from that. Yeah. But uh, I don't think it'll ever touch the other key of 44. I mean, that's a precipitous drop. Right. Um, but I could certainly see it coming off this 47 and a half. Uh, I think I'm still comfortable with it. I, it's, I think it's 50-50 that Treader and Conklin were just getting veterans rest. But mm-hmm. the fact that the Browns might be on their third string left tackle uh, is certainly not a good thing. All right. I don't I don't have a good feel. I'm trying to remember what my we on Monday we do like an opening reactions line. You know, what is our opening reaction to the line? I don't remember what my line. I feel like I like the over, but I don't really have a good feel for it right now. I you know, I can see I think the Browns are gonna run all day long, which is obviously generally speaking good for the under. Um, but I don't have a good sense of it. It's actually it's funny because it's it's sixty-five percent of the people picking on bettingbros.com are on the over right now. So you're in the minority here, which I know you're fine with. Love, you're love, I love being in the minority. All right. Uh, I am going to go. I'm trying to see whether or not I'm in the uh, minority or the majority on this one. And it's no big deal. I'm just going to scroll and waste time. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm in the minority big time on this one. Um, and it is the Dolphins getting three and a half against the Bills. 79% of our experts here are taking the Bills. Only 21% taking the Dolphins. I am one of those 21%. This is not an overly analytical analysis for this one. And this is not a, you know, it's sort of the opposite, right? Like the Bills lost and the Dolphins won. And so, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line is this. It's a divisional matchup. 
it's between two really good teams. And I think if you are giving over a field goal in a game like this, I'm just going to take the hook. They're in Florida, right? That is just very, especially right now in the summer, like we know this, we've seen it for with Tom Brady or whatever. It's sort of difficult for road teams to acclimate to that, especially when it's really, really hot. I think the Bills played okay against the Steelers. Steelers have a great defense, but I did think that they showed some cracks uh, a little bit. You know, their their offensive line wasn't really great. It wasn't really that that great, you know, necessarily last year. Now, last week, they met in this exact same spot in uh, Miami in week two. It was 31-28. I can see sort of something. It's different, obviously, because Fitz was there. But I do think that this is going to be a close game. I think the Dolphins, obviously, have a very, very solid and underrated defense. I think Xavier, I'm very excited to see Xavier Howard. Matchup against Stephon Diggs, which I expect uh, in this game, which we saw at the end of last year, he did a decent job of keeping him under control. But this is something where I, I think it might take a little while for the Bills kind of to round back into form here. And I think the Dolphins, as much as they didn't look explosive, as much as we wanted to uh, just sort of, all right, throw into coverage, like be a more of a gunslinger, and he wasn't, I think they can survive like that. I think this game might be a little lower scoring than people expect. Will Fuller should be back, although I saw that he missed practice today for an undisclosed reason. If he's out, that might color the way I feel about it. But I think that Fuller does add another dimension to this offense. Devontae Parker looked great last week as well. Miles Gaskin is very solid. Jalen Waddell had a very nice opening game. To me, again, it's it's not overly analytical. It's just a divisional matchup between two teams that are very solid and know each other really well. It strikes me as much more of a field goal. So I would take the hook. Either way, but I'm wondering because there are so many people are on the bills, whether or not you feel the same. So if we look at home field advantage again, being 1.9, that says mm-hmm. that the bills would be minus seven and a half in the spot against the Dolphins a week after being minus six and a half against the Steelers. So what the market is telling us is that they believe in this spot that the gap between the bills and the Dolphins is one point higher than the gap between the bills and the Steelers. I, I don't know if that's true. Last week, the Bills-Steelers game was absolutely fascinating because the Steelers blitzed on one play. I know. One one play. That being said, not every team has a TJ Watt and the Melvin Ingram and the horses up front to just send four and be comfortable dropping seven back in coverage, which was a headache for, for Josh Allen. Josh Allen eats against blitzes. He eats against man coverage. The Dolphins blitzed at a 50% rate last week against the Patriots. Are they going to do the same this week, is Brian Flores going to try to send pressure? If he does, I think the Bills are certainly going to look more like the 2020 Bills than they did in week one. But this is, I mean, this line to me is just razor sharp. Uh, I can see the Bills getting back to their old ways, scoring, pushing edges, getting the ball downfield. And then what does Tua do in negative script? That's the biggest issue for the Dolphins this season. They have a very defined RPO style offense, easy throws, easy decisions for Tua. What happens when he's down, you know, a touchdown plus and he's throwing, you know, four verts and making decisions that last year he was very conservative in doing so. So I'm going to be a bystander for this game. I think it's going to be a very fun game uh, between two good teams. And uh, I'll let you uh, be brave in the spot and click the dog. It's going to be such an ugly week for us, my friend. And not that we're going to lose. I just mean we're going to be yeah. rooting for such, you know, such terrible underdogs here. Okay, so you are taking, let's just recap very quickly at the end. Panthers getting three and a half from the Saints. The Jaguars getting six from the Broncos and the Texans and the Browns going under 47 and a half total points. 
I am taking the Vikings getting three and a half from the Cardinals, the Titans getting five and a half from the Seahawks, and the Dolphins getting three and a half from the Bills. Man, somebody is listening to this podcast for the first time. They're like, these guys got some <laughs> intestinal fortitude. Okay, uh, right. how about let's run through very quickly the rest of the game. We talked about the over-under, obviously, on the Browns and Texans, but what do you think about the fact that the Browns are laying 12 and a half points here? Does it matter with you what happens with the offensive linemen or what? Yeah, I, I think so. What's interesting is the look ahead was 13. So the, the Texans got some respect for the fact that they went out uh, and won the game outright last week. Granted, it's a half point of respect, not towards or off of a key number. But if those two players uh, in Treader and Conklin are DNPs today, uh, yeah, I'm definitely leaning the points in this spot, thinking that it's going to be a low-scoring affair, uh, that Tyrod Taylor, the veteran that he is, can navigate the Texans to a non-blowout in Cleveland. Yeah, I'm betting for this pretty split. 56% uh, are taking the Browns, 44% are taking the Texans. I don't think I've made a pick yet on this game. I'm not sure how I feel about it. If I do you know, dabble, it'll probably be the last minute. But I don't have a great feel for it, so it's a stay away from me. How about the Bears laying 2.5 at home against the Bengals and I think it was three when I looked at it earlier in the week so it must have dropped half a point what do you think here about two and a half yeah a lot of sharp money came in on the Bengals uh earlier in the week I've actually seen this as low as one uh wow. at some books I think you have to just take the Bears sub a field goal yeah I believe the look ahead in this spot was uh above a field goal if, I, if I'm not correct let me just pull it up here yeah look ahead was four and a half mm-hmm so that's a, a very large move to and through a key number. Again, it is influential money uh, that's that's making this move. But we're buying the Bengals off of a massive underdog win. And we're selling the Bears against losing against potentially the best team in the NFC. I'm very bullish on the Los Angeles Rams. Yes. I think uh, the addition of Stafford is, is massive to McVay. But more importantly... I think what the Rams have done uh, on defense the last two years uh, is something that is going to become more prevalent and more understood. The Athletic had a, tr a tremendous article about Brandon Staley and what he's done with the, the two-deep defense and, and how he's adapted it to almost be basically the how McVay uses 11 on offense. You show one look and you can do multiple things out of it. The way that Brandon Staley is treating too deep coverage on defense is something that I think is going to take the league by storm. And I think the Rams have a massive edge on defense and the Chargers do now as well with Staley as head coach. So I'm not going to fault the Bears for getting blasted out of the water from a Rams team that was opening up a brand new stadium in primetime. So, yeah, I just think short of a field goal, you have to take the Bears in the spot. I agree with you. I agree with you here. I mean, I really do think now that it's dropped under a field goal like the Bears at home, their defense is still strong. I mean, Andy Dalton didn't, you know, he didn't push the ball down the field. But he didn't play that yeah. poorly against a very, very tough defense. Dave Montgomery looked great. I, and, you know, you got the Bengals played well. I was impressed with Jamar Chase, certainly in the opening game. I was impressed with Burrow. But even Burrow's been complaining a little bit about how sore his knee is, like, after that, which is just natural. I think you, I agree with you. Now that's under a field goal, I would lean the Bears. How about the Eagles, which were, again, earlier in the week getting three and a half. They're now just getting three from the 49ers in Philadelphia. So one of my 2021 goals is to be a little less stubborn. At least try to be a little less stubborn. And I came into this season with very, very negative connotations towards the Philadelphia Eagles. Maybe the Nick Sirianni press conference colored my analysis <laughs> a little bit too much. Certainly Jalen Hurts' inability to play the quarterback position last year uh, colored my analysis. But I have to give them so much credit 
for what they did last week. They gave Jalen Hurts as many easy throws as possible. An dot of 3.7. Let's not make him diagnose the field, go through multiple reads. Let's get these very fast skill position players the ball at the line of scrimmage and let Jalen Hurts play some read option. They got Kenneth Gainwell involved early. You know, a lot of teams would just trot Boston Scott out, the veteran, give him those passing down touches. They took the kid and they said, you know what? We think he's talented. We saw a lot of him in training camp. He got 33% of the snaps. So maybe Sirianni's a little sharper than I gave him credit for. And if that's the case, with Philadelphia being so stout on, on both offensive and defensive line, and some of these injuries for the Niners, Eric Armstead, Dre Greenlaw, Javon Kinlaw, all DNPs yesterday, this line might be a little bit too rich. I'm very bullish on the Niners. I think the Niners are going to have a tremendous season. Uh, yeah. Massive Kyle Shanahan stand. But, you know, this might just be a little bit too rich uh, for a West Coast team traveling east. I liked it at three and a half. At three, I'm just, I'm staying away. I Look, I was sure. somebody who, you know, you know I do fantasy, obviously. I do fantasy projections as well. But uh, I was big on Hurts this whole year, and I was sort of like, well, yeah. worst, worst case scenario, it's going to be his legs, and he'll be fine. But I was hoping that what we would see is that you have an entire offseason, Deshaun Watson rumors be damned. You have an entire offseason to devote yourself to creating an offense that revolves around Jalen Hurts' skill set. That is exactly what they did. And their offensive line played really well. Their defensive line is solid, as we know. So I think the Eagles, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. With that said, I don't know yet. I, I need, you know, beating up on an Atlanta team that just looked terrible is yeah. you know i need to see it again here against the 49ers which is why i'm staying away but i would take it at three and a half you can find it out there i know that it's still lingering out there at some books i would take that at three i think it's a stay away but you, and you i misspoke there sorry the niners did this of course shanahan did the smart thing they stayed they stayed east after the detroit game last week so no long road trip it's uh, still though i mean it still is yeah. so i like i know they do that living in, in a hotel correct the thing where it's you don't still, practice. it's still a yeah. big deal if you stay out east like i i realize like okay good but it, it really it's still a big a big move um this one's interesting it's not surprising to me that the uh betting experts have made the picks the way they have the rams are visiting the colts the rams are currently three and a half point favorites uh 90 of the picks coming in on the rams are you with them as a buyer of sean mcveigh and matthew stafford this is tough. Yep. Because a lot of the stuff we just talked about was overreaction. Correct. And how do we take advantage of that in week two? And naturally, you would want to take the Colts and the points in this spot. But I don't know if I can do it. I think nope. I just... And that doesn't mean I'm going to click the Rams in the spot. It just <laughs> thinks I'm going to stay on the sideline for this game. But what this line is saying is that the Rams are a point better than the Seahawks, which, you know, is probably right. So this is probably a fair line. And yeah, I, I think I think if you like the Colts, you're believing in Aberflus coming out and playing great defense, right? The Colts, nat the, their biggest trend the last couple of years was to play a very strong, two deep defense, keep everything in front of you. I'll never forget they went to Arrowhead two years ago. They were ten point dogs. They went in on a Sunday night, beat them outright because they didn't give Tyreek or any of these Chiefs weapons the opportunity to get down the field. Kept everything in front of them and we're able to win a little bit of a rock fight. And that's the Colts' calling card. If they can do that, the Rams don't have a great running game. They don't really have a great uh, run-blocking offensive line. They can make this game a little ugly. But, you know, if the Rams can mimic what their former coach did last week <laughs> and attack these guys deep, then they're going to have some success. So 
I can see a lot of outcomes here. I'm just going to stay on the sideline. This is a good, we see it so much the same way, which is, I think, like, realistically, you look at it and you're like, well, everything says you probably should take the Colts in this game just for the very reasons that you and I have talked about nonstop. And yet we want to take the Rams because we both are buyers on the Rams and think they looked incredible. And yet neither one of us can really pull that trigger either way. So I agree. I'm going to stay on the side. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Rams win by a touchdown, but it's something where I'm going to stay away from. How about the Steelers at home link six against the Raiders on the short week? Traditionally a terrible spot spot for the Raiders. Uh, Short week, west to east. This Raiders offensive line is bad, uh, and they still have Richie Incognito. Uh, on the injury report, now they have to go block the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, unlike the Ravens, don't have to send pressure because, just like they did against the Bills, they can generate a pass rush with four. Minka Fitzpatrick is one of the few players in the league where you can put him on Darren Waller, and I don't think anybody can stop Darren Waller. Those crosses are absolutely lethal, probably unguardable. But the job that Fitzpatrick did last week against Cole Beasley, and you might scoff off, you know, Cole Beasley, slot guy, but Cole is very slippery in the slot and a great route runner. And Fitzpatrick did a hell of a job on him. So he's going to be able to at least annoy Waller in this game and force Carr and the Raiders offense to go elsewhere. Six is pretty rich, though. Five and a half now I'm seeing uh, five in some spots. So. Do we trust the Pittsburgh defense to keep this super low? Yes. But do we trust Big Ben and that arm and the prayers that he tends to throw to Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool to establish a lead and extend the lead? I don't think so. So gun to my head, I think I'm taking the points uh, and hoping that Derek Carr can can generate some offense against this tremendous pass rush. Yeah, this is pretty split down the middle. 53% on the Raiders, 47% on the Steelers. I am taking neither for sure. I, this is a classic Tomlin like letdown spot. Like you got to yes. be an underdog. You got to be on the yeah. road. You got to have yeah. the nobody believes in us for Mike Tomlin. When you're a yeah. favorite by nearly a touchdown at home with everything being like, ah, oh, you should win this, man. You'll be all right. It's like, nah, run away. So, I, but I can't bring myself to take the Raiders either for the reasons you mentioned. It's just very tough on this short week. It's not like a good match in terms of the ability of the Steelers to get pressure without bringing the blitz. So just to stay away from me. But uh, I I guess gun to my head, like you said, I would be on the Raiders. But thankfully, there is no gun to my head. So let's go on to the <laughs> Patriots visiting our Jets. Uh, the spread has climbed to six. Jets getting six. 82% of the people taking the Patriots. 18% taking the Jets. What do you think? Congratulations if you grabbed the Patriots ticket Sunday night, Monday morning. Very good job by you because, yes, this has steamed in the direction of the Patriots. I don't know how high it has to get for me to take the Jets. I don't (laughs) think it's high enough. Uh, But I don't think I'm taking Mac Jones on the road at this number either. Uh, I did really like the the three and a half. Uh, I I thought that was a a pretty good selection. The, The big issue is just this Jets offensive line. With Becton out, yep. I mean, what is Matthew Judon going to do to this offensive line? Zach Wilson is going to have pressure in his face the entire game. Bill Belichick feasts on rookie quarterbacks. Yes, he does. So I think Salah will do a, a decent job against uh, a rookie quarterback in his own, but he just doesn't have the horses that that Belichick has. Yep. Uh, I mean, you go out and you sign LaMarcus Joyner. He plays nine snaps. I mean, Carl Lawson plays zero snaps. Yeah. Uh, and now you've just got uh, Bryce Hall and a, a cast of misfits cornerback. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so tough spot. I don't think it's high enough to take the Jets, uh, 
So I guess I'm leaning Patriots, but yeah, this is going to be an ugly affair in my life. Yeah, staying away. I, six points too much. <laughs> like that. That's the bottom line. Like the the Patriots should win this game. It should that's probably. Right. It should not be threatened. But six points is too much for Mac Jones on the road. Like it just. It just is. Like there's just yeah. no way. And you're right. You got it early. That's great. But right now I can't. Hopefully, you know, Lafleur designs something to get around the fact that their offensive line is you and me basically playing at this point, which is crazy with how much they've invested into this offensive line, but it's going to be bad. So, uh, but I'm staying away again, just because I can't, can't go with Mac Jones uh, laying six. How about another big spread here? A couple of big spreads this week, Bucks laying 12 and a half to the Falcons at home. Is Arthur Smith a fraud? (laughs) I don't think we're we're not ready to call that after a game. (laughs) It didn't look good uh, that first game, but uh, you know, they were so unprepared. They ran the ball so frequently on first down, despite uh, having such little success up front, getting push and trailing. That was puzzling. Everything that I saw out of the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday was absolutely puzzling. Matt Ryan is not somebody who could get back there and move around there were assignments blown up front by the offensive line. This is a terrifying spot for a Bucks team that has extra rest uh, and the defensive strength up front that we saw. You know, the Cowboys have a really good defensive uh, offensive line, for sure. They were missing Zach Martin. Yep. But, you know, they're a solid outfit, and the Bucks were still getting pressure in that spot. So I can only imagine what's going to happen when the Bucks defense starts eating against this Atlanta offensive line. And what is this Atlanta defense going to do against Tom Brady yeah. and this Bucks offense? So I think the move, look ahead with eight, moves to 12. I think the move is justified. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, I could see the Bucks winning this game by a very, very healthy amount. I'm very concerned with, with Arthur Smith uh, as the coach of the Falcons. And gun to my head, it's the Bucks in this one. But I also can't lay 12 and a half at this point. Like, I, I can't because that, to me, strikes me as a, you look at the Falcons the Falcons look like they were the worst team in the league in that in yeah. that game. They look terrible. Yeah. They look terribly coached. They didn't have the personnel. I'm not ready to say that's exactly what we're going to see rest of season, just for the same reasons we're talking about everything. But it looked horrific. And we do know that the Bucs are going to put up a ton of points because the Bucs had the exact same personnel that they had last year. They did it against the Cowboys. So I lean Bucks, but 12 and a half. I, I need to see it again. If, if they look like that again, the Falcons... I'm fully running hard away and just whatever look ahead line I can get on against the Falcons, I will take now because it's just going to climb. How about the Chargers, which are now laying three and a half at home against the Cowboys? This was three earlier in the week when I looked. Big injuries for the Cowboys, or at least one big yep. injury with Demarcus Lawrence. And now this Lyle Collins suspension, you get back Zach Martin, but you lose your left tackle. That's never a good thing. I think people are going to be enamored with the Cowboys and their offense and the stories coming out that Dak was a great decision maker, which he was on the Thursday opener, audibling out of, I think, more than half of the run calls that Kellen Moore put out there, put the Cowboys into good spots, was throwing the ball all over the field, did a great job. But I don't know in this spot. I'm, again, very bullish on the Chargers and... I was surprised last week. So Gridiron Gamble, we play in the Circus Sports Million Contest. Mm-hmm. And the Washington football team was a top five popular pick last week. And that was puzzling to me. Uh, I just think the Chargers team 
is really good. Uh, Herbert is already, I think, a top 10 quarterback. Uh, he just stands in there on those third downs, makes really tough throws, throws outside the number he can make. And uh, Lombardi is going to be able to put him in positions that Anthony Lynn didn't last year uh, in scheming up a, a better offensive plan uh, than what the former Chargers head coach was able to do. I don't love the line move. Again, this is another one where, hey, if you got out Sunday night, Monday morning, you yeah. grab the two. You grab the two before this got two and above three. Congratulations. Um, but I, I still think that if you were to make me select a side here, uh, it would be the Chargers. Uh, yeah. I, th- I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, th- I, I think the Dallas defense is that bad and that Brandon Staley will just be able to do enough to limit uh, this awesome Cowboys offense. And once again, you are not on the side of the majority. 82% taking the Cowboys, 18%. Which, show, which shows just how monumental that move is. Oh, yeah. If 80% are on the Cowboys and the line goes from two to three and a half. Yeah. All right, let's go to the Chiefs visiting the Ravens Sunday night football. I believe the Ravens are now getting three and a half. There were three when I checked on Sunday night, I think before the or a Monday night before the Ravens game. So getting three and a half at home against the Chiefs. What do you think? I think the best spot here is actually the under. Uh, I think the last I saw was 55, 55 and a half. Yeah, the consensus right now is 54 and a half. I don't know what that means. Okay, so yeah, so it's coming down. Uh, so my, my inclinations are, are coming through there. I, I think John Harbaugh will be smart enough to know that the traditional style of blitzing and going ham and throwing the kitchen right. sink at Patrick Mahomes is just not going to work. So play a little bit back, play some too deep, keep things in front of you, keep the pace of the game slower. And we know on offense that Baltimore is not going to be throwing the ball all over the pitch. They don't have the horses to do so, uh, and Lamar Jackson's strength is certainly not throwing the ball. So I think we're going to see a lot of controlled uh, pace, running, uh, and even on defense, a little less aggressiveness from Baltimore. So I think the under is the play in this spot. I've just seen this so many times where I've wanted to take a good team getting points at home against the Chiefs, and I've just ended up with egg in my face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't do it. I I think that spread is probably a stay away from me. That's a good point on the total. I mean, and I think that that's what the Ravens are going to want to, you know, do in order to limit what Mahomes can do. Last one, Packers at home, Monday Night Football, 11 point favorites, embarrassed by the Saints. What do you think? I mean, who's playing corner for the Lions? Uh, <laughs> you? You want a job? <laughs> they got to want it. I know. Kuda's out for the year. It's just, it's bad. The uh, I think for the season... The Lions, like they showed last week, are going to be a team that doesn't tend to quit, right? When your head mm-hmm. coach is the guy biting off kneecaps and taking baseball bats to shins, uh, I don't think this is a team that's going to be laying over. So I think there's going to be a lot of double-digit spots for the Lions this season where they are the right side, the game is a lot closer, and just because they're like 3-10 and 10 or whatever, everyone's still going to be clicking the other side while the Lions have like an above-average ATS spread. But this is not the spot. Rodgers... Off a loss, completely embarrassed, at home, Lambeau, night game. Yeah, you cannot find me clicking the Lions in no, this spot. I'll take the Packers. And yeah, there's a backdoor cover possibility. I don't care. I will own that. I think that this is just going to be a really, 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 really angry uh, Packers team. And I think they will learn from what they saw last week, which in part was due to the fact that they had some injuries on defense with the 49ers, but in part was due to the fact that the Lions just, you know, you're able to dump it off to the running backs. I think they'll know. You know that there are no wide receivers that Jared Goff is going to try to throw to. You blanket TJ Hawkinson. You have, you know, you have guys waiting for those running backs out of the backfield. 
I think that they will hold on beyond the backdoor cover. So I li- I do like the Packers here. I lean that way. But uh, yeah, I fear for Detroit <laughs> in that game. Let's very briefly recap what our actual, you know, our top six picks are. You're taking the Panthers getting three and a half again from the Saints. You were taking the Jaguars, you brave, brave soul, getting six <laughs> from uh, the Broncos. And you were taking the Texans and the Browns under 47 and a half. And I am taking the Vikings getting three and a half from the Cardinals, the Titans getting five and a half from the Seahawks and the Dolphins getting three and a half from the Bills, all all underdogs for us, for our official pick, right. except for the over-under. I love it. This is the week. Was- this is the week for the underdogs, for the bounce back. Uh, Rich, you were a fantastic guest. I missed talking to you. It was good to catch up. Uh, remind everybody where they can find you and your work. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, Grid Iron Gamble, you can find it on any podcatcher, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple. We do our weekly Circa Sports Million selections. And then we recap those. And we actually do a good recap. Donnie Peters does a great recap of the Las Vegas contests as a whole. You know who the leaders are, uh, who scored what points last week. So check that out. How'd you do last week out of curiosity in the circuit? So so we went, uh, we have two entries. We went two and three on both of them. Okay. We had Baltimore minus four to close out the week on Monday night. Uh, the fact that they were up 2.2 yards per play at halftime, which if you, if you divide yards per play by 0.15, you tend to get uh, the amount of points that a team should be ahead. Uh, so they were projected to be ahead 16 at that point. And, uh, <laughs> they were not. <laughs> they were not. Uh, yeah, that stinks. But two and three in one of those contests, that doesn't bury you whatsoever, oh, right? yeah, sure. Early too, so. Yeah, especially. Just avoid the big one and four, oh, and five weeks. Should be fine. All That's right, anyway, right. thank you so much for coming by. You guys know this by now. On Monday, we'll be back taking an early look at the lines. And later on, we'll have the college football, which dropped yesterday. College football podcast breaking down uh, each week. And then we follow up with our best bets here. Thank you again. Download, uh, listen anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, leave review as well. And we will talk to you again in a couple of days. 